Our scripture reading today comes from Acts chapter 10, verse 9 through 23, and this is the NIV version of the Bible. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you are looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is righteous and God-fearing man, who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. Today's sermon I've entitled, A Dream and a Pivot, um, Acts 10. And this is uh, part of uh, our Acts series on the book of Acts, uh, the Spirit-infused multi-ethnic church. And this is a loving scripture series from Renew Church. Um, our story uh, remains with Peter. If you remember last week, Peter raised Tabitha, uh, the widow who was a great minister, a great apostle uh, for the church, serving Hellenist widows, uh, making them clothes and providing food, and she fell dead. And Peter called to Joppa, went and raised Tabitha uh, to life again. And all of the widows and all of uh, the people who witnessed this were amazed and they celebrated. And it showed, uh, and, and we mentioned how this showed God, God's heart uh, throughout scripture, his continual faithful heart uh, for the widow, the orphan and the marginalized. And Peter going out of his way to raise Tabitha uh, to life, one, shows his power in the name of Jesus Christ, and two, that this woman was very important to Peter, to God, to Jesus, the Holy Spirit, uh, to the movement of the church growing um, and, and spreading. And so uh, what a beautiful story that was. And Peter remains in Joppa, and our story sticks with Peter here. And at the top of chapter 10, we learn that there's a centurion, a Roman centurion, a Roman uh, military officer, Cornelius. And the description that's given of him is that he's a devout man who feared God with all his household. And he gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. 
And uh, when we see this in, uh, this description of Cornelius being a devout man, immediately this should conjure up in us uh, an echo, a reminder, where else did, have we seen devotion or devotedness, being devoted to praying, de being devoted to being generous? We saw that, remember, earlier in Acts chapter 2, um, where we hear uh, the summary of the people of faith after Pentecost, it says that they devoted themselves, these people devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to prayer, and everybody uh, um, was not in need, right? Because people gave generously uh, out of what they had and people received uh, generosity uh, according to their need. And so there's this connection being made around devotion. And we see here in Cornelius that to God, devotion, devotedness to generosity, giving to the poor, and to praying continually matters, right? And this is a lesson for us as Christians, as followers of Jesus, as the church. Our devotion matters. Devotion to generosity and continuing to give generously to the poor, to those who need, and to continually to pray, to pray constantly that this matters. Because to Cornelius, this Gentile, this Roman military officer, an angel comes, a vision from God, saying, Cornelius, your prayers and your giving, your alms, have risen as a memorial before God. And because God hears and has seen, sees what you've done, he hears your prayer and he's seen what you've done with devotion continually, he's gonna use you. He's sending you to a man named Peter in Joppa. So send men and approach Peter. He doesn't know why, he doesn't know what he's gonna say to Peter, he doesn't know uh, what the purpose is, but he just goes. And doesn't this remind you too, again, of other devoted men, other men of God that God called Stephen and Philip. Let's take a look at Philip in particular in chapter eight, right? He's ministering, he's being faithful and filled in the Holy Spirit and ministering to Samaritan cities and people are coming to faith left and right right New, the church is growing after the after they had been scattered and persecuted they're preaching philip philip is preaching in samaria and people are converting and then god calls him on this lonely road south to this random interaction with the ethiopian eunuch right the Holy Spirit calls him away from what you would think is where God is working, right? God is working in these cities. People are, the ministry is happening. And I was talking to uh, my ministry colleague, uh, Pastor Magdiel, and talking about how, man, sometimes the Holy Spirit calls us into things that we don't expect, into random things, and we don't see the whole picture. It just seems like one interaction with this Ethiopian eunuch. And to the centurion, uh, Cornelius, the angel is just saying, go to Joppa, to this man named Simon Peter. What? This is random. What does this mean? But 
Big things happen when people say yes and go. Amen? When we say yes, it doesn't make sense. Right? The math doesn't add up. Right? What, what does that mean for us? Oh, leave your church, your ministry, your programs. Leave the, the congregation singing and your preaching. All of these things that you're used to doing. Leave and go over there. And I'm like, God, no. Well, what about the last six months? Oh, we're not going to have worship in person in the sanctuary. What? What are we going to do? What, what are we supposed to do? I, I have to preach. We have pews. You've given us this building here in Linwood, these awesome facilities, and we're not going to use them? What are we supposed to do? We're, 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 we're having service online? How long, God? How long? You can work through this even? And many of us have felt this, and many of us in the church have felt this. What does fellowship look like? What does connection look like? What does community look like? You're calling us away, and for some churches who are very tied to their buildings, or their programs, or their organization, or the offerings that come, or the pews and the worship bands and everything, they're tied to the things that they've always done for years and years and years. It's what's made them big. It's what's made them successful. It's what's made the church rich and with plentiful of resources. And when that's been taken away because of a pandemic, it's very hard to let go and be still and say, what now, Holy Spirit? What are you leading us to do? And to go into the desert or go on that lonely road or go to Joppa to meet a person you've never met before just because the angel of the Lord says, just because the Holy Spirit is telling you to do that. It's hard to let go of what we know, what gives us security and comfort to follow the voice of the Lord. Amen. And that's why I think there's so much controversy. There's so much tension out there. You hear the stories of large churches and pastors going and reopening the churches prematurely, right? And packing it out and people saying, we're not afraid. God will protect us in the name of Jesus. God will protect us from the coronavirus. And there's stories of pastors of large churches who've opened up, even though the governments have said no, even though the governments have said be safe, they're not even requiring masks. And I'm not here to judge. I'm not here to say, oh, I know what's right. But have we considered in these times what the Spirit of the Lord is saying, what God is saying? You know, when one door closes or something, uh, an obstacle comes, do we consider that we're being led to let go of certain things and pivot and do something else? That might be crazy, something that we can't calculate on our own, but God's calculation, God's math, God's calculus is way higher and way more complex than our calculuses. And so the question I ask for us in this moment is, what has God been calling us to let go of or what's hard or difficult 
for us to let go of in these times that we're holding on to, whether it's a structure, whether it's a way of being a community of faith, the way of being church, doing church, what is it hard for us to let go of? And what could the Spirit of God be telling us to move? Amen. I went off on my preaching part too early because I, I still got to talk about this passage a little bit. But so Cornelius, the next day Cornelius goes um, and while they're traveling, while he's traveling with his servants uh, to Joppa, Peter goes up onto the housetop of where he is the sixth hour to pray. And here again, you see Peter prays just in the tradition of Jesus going to, his, um, to a secluded place or in the morning to pray. And we see, we learn of Cornelius that he was devoted to prayer, praying continually. Also, Peter goes on top of this household housetop to pray. Prayer seems to be something that's all throughout Acts and should be something, a tool or the secret weapon for us as followers of Jesus uh, to become spirit infused, to become more led by the spirit and sensitive to the spirit, to lift our voices in prayer. Amen. And it says that he became hungry while he was praying. Um, and wanted, he had low blood sugar, his sugar is lowering and while he's praying, he's like, ah, I need to get some grub. And so, uh, people, I don't know who they were. They, they decided to prepare it for Peter. And then it's, the scripture says he fell into a trance and during this trance, this vision, or maybe he was not asleep, but just like, you know, saw this dream, the heavens open up. And we know in scripture that when the heavens open up, it's a big thing, right? God is about to make a revolution, revelation, just like Jesus' baptism. God saying, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. The heavens opened up. And just like the dove descending upon Jesus, we have a great sheep descending, being let down by its four corners. Like you have this sheep, right? A flat sheep, a giant movie screen, right? IMAX screen descending, uh, being let down by its four corners. And in the sheet were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And a voice said, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. I'm gonna, I, wanna, I wanna deal with this word rise because in the chapter earlier, Right? We talked about how Peter said to Tabitha, rise, right? Tabitha, rise and get up. And so it was with these words that the miracle of resurrection happened in Tabitha. She was raised to life with Peter commanding her to rise. Here, the same command is coming to Peter, rise. So if you connect those two in parallelism, it's like saying, just as Tabitha raised from death to life, Peter here is being called to raise from death to new life. But what is, Peter's alive, so what is, what is this new life Peter's been calling to? That's one point. The second point is that it's not just non-believers. It's not just about conversion, right? When we follow Jesus, the way of Jesus and being a disciple of Jesus means a daily 
daily transformation that the Spirit of God is working in the believer's heart to continually change, transform, and lift to new life over and over again. Death, new life, death, new life, transformation. Just because you've been a Christian all your life, just because you become a Christian, doesn't mean that day when you said, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, I've arrived. I know everything. I've become everything. I don't need to change. I'm here. I'm a Christian. No, when you be, that's actually not the end of the story. It's the beginning of the story. When you say yes to Jesus, it actually means an adventure is opening up where your whole life is going to be turned upside down and you're continually going to be converted over and over again and transformed. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. And so if you've been a Christian all your life or you've been in the church all your life and you haven't experienced change and transformation in your own life, something is wrong, amen? Even Peter who just had the power to raise a woman back to life and has done all of these miracles, right? Is, is the father of the church to whom Jesus said, Peter, to you I'm giving you the keys of the church. Even Peter is going to experience a transformation in his paradigm, in his way of thinking, in his walk with Jesus. Even Jesus is being told, rise from death into new life. Kill and eat. And what? how does Peter respond? Just like oftentimes his response is with uh, Jesus, while Jesus was uh, discipling him, right? No, no, Lord. No way. I'm not going to do that. Those lizards. I don't eat lizards. I don't eat gorilla brains. I don't eat... What else do we eat? I don't eat bugs, crickets, right? Grasshopper legs, frog legs. I don't eat those things. That's unclean. That's uncommon. I, he says, I have never eaten anything that is or common or unclean. Remember, Peter is a Jew. But you know what? Peter, he's not, he wasn't even a, a, a Pharisee or a priest or a scribe. He wasn't even a leader in the temple. When Jesus called him, he, what? He was a fisherman from Galilee, right? Just a normal guy. That tells you how strong uh, the religious kind of eating, uh, the eating rules were for the Jews, right? Even a common person like Peter had followed uh, the Jewish dietary laws for his whole life. He'd never eaten anything unclean. That's how strong that was, right? And, and we can go through the Old Testament, Leviticus, um, maybe we'll put some up here in the screen while I'm talking. Um, diet, some of the dietary laws um, that the Jewish people followed um, that they were given as commands earlier in, in scripture and that they continue to follow to this day. And, and apparently Peter followed it all his life. So it was so strong that he even said to God, no, I can't do that. Wow. If God came to you and said, do something else, and you said, no, I've never done that before in my life. What is that thing? 
What is that force so strong that you would uh, immediately refuse? In this case, it's his ethnic, cultural background, right? The laws, the ethnic, cultural eating laws that he's followed all of his life, right? Being a Jew, it's so strong that it's like, it doesn't seem possible. This is stronger than anything, even the word of God. My resistance to this is stronger than anything. Woo, that sounds familiar, right? We experience that. I think the American church experiences that. That we've tied our faith, church, and following Jesus to, to things that define us as Americans. But it doesn't necessarily define us as disciples of Jesus. Amen? Right? We're like, no, God wouldn't say that. God wouldn't do that. I've always done this. I've always said the Pledge of Allegiance. I've always had a flag in my sanctuary. I've always voted this way, not that way. I've always said yes on this issue and no to this issue because that's what it means to be a Christian, right? No, that what, that's what it means to be an American first, then Christian. We think that our faith and our religion and our traditions aren't tied actually to culture, that we aren't cultural Christians and that we don't put America first. We're, we look to making America great again before we make Jesus great, that before we give glory to Jesus, before we're like Cornelius and are faithful and giving to the poor and having a heart for the poor and praying and discerning what God is saying, God's voice in our life, amen? And that's idolatry, to idolize our culture, our nation above the word of God and God in our life, that's idolatry. That's the definition of idolatry. So I ask again, what are the things that you're holding onto that you need to let go of? Or that God is saying, let go of. Because it's not of God. It's something human made. It's something that we fashioned with our own hands. Or it's just old wineskins. And God is bringing new wine. And you're holding on to these old wineskins, but the wine is gone. Because they've already burst and you're like, my wineskins, my wineskins, I gotta hold on to them. Where is the wine? The wine is what we want. Amen? So let go of those and, and receive the new wineskins and let God tell you what it means to rise and eat, kill and eat. And it might be as strange to you as it is to Peter. Peter's like, what? Reptiles, gorilla brains, frog legs, crickets, no. And to us, I mean, oh, go over there to those people, hang out with them, love those people, be friends with those people, make those people leaders in your church. Consider, consider this new, um, this new uh, mission, this new outreach in your church, right? Kill and eat, kill and eat. And we see that after Peter's refusal, a voice came again to him a second time. 
What God has made clean, do not call common. Do not call common. And it says in verse 16 that this happened three times and the thing was taken up once to heaven. And, and, and we see this theme of three, right? Jesus was in the tomb for three days before he was raised to life. Right here, Peter, we're, we're supposed to see a resurrection image, right? Peter is dying to himself. Peter is dying to um, the ways he understood God and what it meant to be a, a fear of God, faithful and devoted to God. And now this God is saying, change everything. And it takes three times, right? And then Peter rises again. And the paradigm shift that we see in the rest of 10 is that Cornelius comes and talks to to Peter, um, invites Peter uh, to be his guest. And Peter goes to um, Caesarea, journeys to Caesarea uh, to see Cornelius. And Cornelius reveals to him that four days ago he was praying and he saw a vision, right? So here's Peter listening to a Gentile, a Roman soldier. Um, listening to his vision from God, how Cornelius's prayer has been heard, and that he's supposed to meet Peter. And as Cornelius is sharing this story and the timing was matching, paradigm shift for Peter. Peter immediately understood the vision. Because what Peter reveals to us and that we realize is Peter a Jew is not supposed to associate with foreigners. A Jew is not supposed to associate with Gentiles. But God is calling him to meet up with Cornelius. And all the while, here are all these Gentiles that are saying to Peter, are listening, wanting to receive from him. And so Peter opens his mouth and says, Truly I understand now that God shows no partiality. Right? But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching the good news of peace in Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know. And so what Peter does is go through another one of his sermons. But what's interesting to note is this sermon is much shorter than the sermons that he gave to you. Uh, the religious leaders in the temples earlier in Acts, right? This sermon that he's giving to, to the Gentiles is much shorter because he even acknowledges, I see that you already know. You as Gentiles know about Jesus. You as Gentiles have learned about this. So I'm preaching to the choir. Amen? You guys know this. And so he's like, let's get baptized. And while Peter was still preaching, the Holy Spirit interrupts and falls on all who were there that were listening to pre Peter's preaching, Peter's word. Holy Spirit says, hey, let's get to the point. <sighs> right? Power. And everyone there, all of those who were Jewish, who were circumcised, 
along with Peter, it says, were amazed because of the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured on what? Even on the Gentiles. And the Gentiles had the gift of the Spirit and they were hearing them speak in tongues and praising God. And Peter declares, can anyone withhold water from baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Paradigm shift, boom. Peter makes an interpretive shift from the vision of the sheet, basically saying, what God has made unclean is now clean. And in Peter's eyes, he realizes that unclean is not just dietary, but it also um, referred to other peoples from other nations, non-Jewish people, Gentiles, were considered unclean. I cannot touch them. I cannot be with them. I cannot associate with them. And here he sees a group of Gentiles who are faithful, devoted followers of Jesus. And something in his heart and mind both click. God does not show partiality based on ethnicity, based on culture, based on where you're from. And this is the shift that needs to happen in the church, in the Jerusalem church, in Peter's eyes, in order for Paul to then come in later in his, uh, in his ministry to the Gentiles, right? This is gonna be another kind of pivot um, to allow for the Holy Spirit. Well, it's not allowing the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's gonna do it, but it's opening people's eyes and perspectives to what the the new thing that God is going to do through the Holy Spirit, through the ministry of Paul. And Peter needed a lightning bolt like this to change his perspective, right? He has a dream and it leads him to pivot. And the question church is, as a spirit infused church, how does pivoting and discerning the whole the movement of the Holy Spirit help us to be a more multi-ethnic, a more diverse church. It's the key because when we follow our traditions and not the Holy Spirit, we begin, to, our traditions are tied to our culture and our race, the things that we prefer. This type of worship, preaching in this way, having this kind of Bible study, eating this kind of potluck food, all of those are tied to our culture. And yet what we do that's wrong is we take the things that are cultural and we say, this is law, right? This is righteousness. And God is saying, uh-uh, right? Kill and eat, right? Kill and eat, look differently, right? I make, I shape the culture. It's time to pivot. It's time to pivot. And so church, I think the challenge here, as we continue on in Acts and as we uh, are being shaped and formed as individuals and shaped as a church, is what does it look like to pivot? What is God calling us to pivot to that is new, that may be strange to us, we're not used to it, but it's something new because when we do that shift, it opens the gospel up to more people different people. Amen. 
Does that make sense? Open up. God is calling us to open up and consider new possibilities. Consider that the Holy Spirit is way more innovative and powerful than we can know and that his ways are higher than our ways and that our ways, um, we've been stubborn and hanging on to our ways, but that needs to die. But when we die, and it feels like death right now, right? For the last six months, it has felt like for many of us, for pastors, for all of you out there, like death. What I know of church, it hasn't been for at least six months. What's the church gonna be like in the future? That's a death. But the Spirit of God is now saying, let go and rise up. Rise, kill and eat. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. And thank you that you uh, care about us enough to speak to us. And that you sent a dream to Cornelius, that you sent a vision to Peter. Um, to redirect them, just as you redirected the life of Saul on his path to Damascus. You're redirecting us. And help us as individuals to realize that following you isn't an arrival, isn't about knowing things and achieving levels, but it's a constant um, walk of transformation. So will you change our hearts to become more like the people you envision us to be. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.